Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by Kotick Bikes and Crank Brothers. You might already know that I ride a Kotick Rocket Max. It's their 160mm enduro weapon and it's made right here in the UK. I've been on mine for about six months now, so I thought it was time to let you know what I think. I have to say that from the very first ride, I was incredibly happy with my choice. The bike provides so much confidence that it feels like it can take on anything you throw at it. Kotick's long shot geometry was already familiar to me from my old Flare Max, but with the Rocket Max, it's even longer and slacker. Those changes don't seem to detract from the bike's playful nature, but they do allow it to carry you down the roughest of terrain at crazy speeds. The hardest thing for me to adjust to has been just how fast this thing will let you go. I definitely feel like it's going to be me slowing down before the bike actually needs needs me to. With all that incredible performance downhill, you'd expect it to be a bit of a dog on the climbs. My experience has been quite the opposite, and it seems as happy taking you to the top as it does on the way down, and its performance on technical climbs is incredible. It's already enabled me to clean some sections that I've never managed before. So if you want to check out what Kotick have to offer, then you can head over to kotick.co.uk to see their entire range. After many, many years on flat pedals, I've been having a go at being clipped in, and for this experiment I've chosen the Crank Brothers Mallet DH pedals. They have a ton of adjustability, an easy release cleat option, and they have an incredible record at the very top of the sport. Both downhill elite world champions crowned this past weekend were on the Mallet DH, and the same goes for every downhill elite world champion since 2015. This week I'm going to chat a bit about my experience of getting them set up. The first thing I'm going to say is that taking your time here to get it right is going to be well worth it. The pedals come with a cutout template so that you can use that on your shoe to make sure you get the right amount of spaces between the shoe and the cleat. This is super important for how the shoe contacts the pedal, so make sure you get it right. From there, you can further tune the way the interaction with the pedal feels. You can change the traction pads, which are small pads either side of the clipping section, and the pedals come with two different thicknesses. I've stuck with the thinner ones to make clipping in and out easier while I'm getting used to riding them. Also to make it as easy as possible to clip out, I've wound the rear sets of pins down so they only just stick out of the pedal and don't catch onto the sole of the shoe too much. I've left the front pins where they are so there's something to grip if I don't manage to clip in straight away. If you're struggling to get it to feel just how you want, then hop off the bike, clip the shoe in and have a look at what is contacting the sole so as you can then change it. Now to cleat setup. I'm using the Ride Concepts Transition Shoe and it's got a decent length cleat box. So I've got my cleats towards the back of that so it feels like the same position that I'd ride on flat pedals. I'm using the Easy Release Cleat with 6 degrees of float. The other little tweak that I've made is to twist the cleat slightly on the sole of the shoe so as I don't have to twist quite so far in order to clip out. I don't intend to leave them like this for long but I just wanted to make clipping out as easy as possible from the start. So the moral of the story is take your time, there's loads to tweak, make sure you get them set up perfectly for you right from the start. If you're interested in getting clipped in, then Crank Brothers are going to be giving three lucky listeners a pair of clipping pedals of their choice, along with a new M20 multi-tool to install them with. All you need to do to enter is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash crankbrothers and fill in your details there. You've got until the end of October to get that done. You can also check out their entire range of goodies over at crankbrothers.com. Don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the show. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. It's really easy to do with buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. While you're on that page, you can also join my newsletter for a weekly dose of interesting bike related stuff, competitions, products that I've been enjoying and more.
If you want to support the show, then there's a few things you can do. You can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop and grab yourself a treat. We've got t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies, all 100% organic, printed to order and shipped with no single-use plastic. You can also give the podcast a quick review over on iTunes. It's really quick to do. They're lovely for me to read and it also helps others find the podcast. But this week, what I really, really want you to do is to share this episode, not just with your riding friends, but with anyone who you think would be interested in hearing this conversation. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by Elliot Jackson and Phil Young to talk about diversity in the sport and specifically the representation of people of colour. Elliot recently started the Grow Foundation to work on improving exactly this and Phil has spent a lot of time working on this challenge across the outdoor sports industry so they're the right people to hear from on this topic. We chat about their own experiences of growing up in the outdoor sports world. We talk about why people of colour are so underrepresented in our sport, what benefits could be had from doing something about this and how brands should be approaching it. We also talk about what we can all do to help. I really enjoyed this chat and I learned so much along the way. So a massive thanks to Elliot and Phil for taking part and being so open. I'd like to ask you to do two things for me today. One, give this episode your full attention. And two, please share it with as many people as you can in whatever way is best for you. This one is really important. So let's spread the word. All right. Without further ado, here's Phil and Elliot. All right, this week we've got two guests joining me on the show. First off, it's been a while, but welcome back. Elliot Jackson, how's things with you? Oh man, so good. I've uh, been super busy, but just just loving it. <laughs> loving it. Good to be back. You have got a lot going on. So you've got Crankworks coming up for some more commentating. And then are you going to World Champs or what's happening there? No, there's a different Red Bull, like it's different rights, I guess. So oh, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't even normally do it, but even still, it's kind of a uh, kind of a bit sketchy cruising over there. <laughs> so I would <laughs> I would have probably opted for a virtual call in on that one anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's a good that's a good idea. I've uh, yeah, I've unfortunately had to cancel my travel for that, which was pretty uh, disappointing when I was cancelling the hotel, and it reminded me that the room had a mountain view. Uh, shed a little tear but there'll be more years for world champs so it's all good oh man cool and then our second guest this week is a man who you might not know at this point from the world of mountain biking but if you're into snowboarding in the uk um in the 90s you might remember him as a presenter on channel 4's board stupid um and he's done plenty of other amazing things since then welcome to the show phil young how's things how you doing chris yeah very good to be very pleased to be here with you today uh, virtually sun is shining uh, and life is good at the moment although as i was saying before uh, and elliot you missed this bit uh, i went for a walk with the dog down at, down at the local park thinking i've had a lot of time to come back to this podcast the dog went rolling around in a load of fox shit and <laughs> and i had to come back here and clean it off in the shower. And, you know, I'm not sure if I'm even allowed to say that, but anyone who's got a dog <laughs> will know that when it rolls in dog shit, it's not so great. So that aside, everything is good. But thank you for asking. <laughs> no problem. So, like I said, I, I remember you from the from the Board Stupid days, which is a while ago now, but ever since then, and I'm sure before, you've been heavily involved in the outdoor sports scene. Um, just give us, like, a little bit of an overview of, of what, 
you've been up to um and, and what kind of sports you've delved into because you've you've done a you've done a chunk of stuff in mountain biking as well yeah yeah i mean where do, where do you start um i mean to be honest people ask me what my job is and i really struggle to give them a decent answer but my mum included my mum's never known <laughs> what, what i've what i've done so yeah um what I've, what have I been involved in? Snowboarding, yeah, snowboarding is a big part of my life. Bikes are uh, uh, a big part of my life as well. Road cycling and mountain biking and BMX for a, for a stage uh, as well when I was a lot younger. So I did a lot of work with Nike uh, about a decade ago. We bought uh, Josh Bryceland, who you may know. We yeah. bought him into the fold. Uh, Sam Dale was part of that team. Um did a lot of TV work as well, so went out to some amazing mountain bike events. We did that, uh, Elliot, you might know about this one, the one that they did in Rio through the favelas. Did you, ah, did you ever see that? We went up to the top of this favela, no, gonna... there was bullet holes all over the police station there and you know, <laughs> gnarly dudes hanging out in the corners. Um, and, and, and they built these ramps and people just kind of working their way over the ramps and over people's houses and down the down the steps, avoiding chickens and stray dogs and <laughs> that kind of that, that was that was pretty wild. And we went to we went to Rampage as well over in Utah. That was pretty incredible. Um, but generally my, my, my day to day is working with brands, um, mainly in outdoor uh, action sports if you like. So surfing, snowboarding, skateboarding. I've now and, and, and I'm. This is the biggest surprise for me. I've, I'm now involved in trail running, and uh, I, yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I, I haven't really run since I was a teenager at school doing a hundred meters. Sometimes they'd push me to four hundred meters, but that was my limit. Now, the other day, I found myself running around trails for sixteen and a half kilometers. Almost died, but <laughs> but actually really enjoyed it. Just getting outside. So my thing at the moment really is is trying to. Uh, I forget the nitty gritty of it is trying to get marginalised communities to leave inner city environments and, and go outside, whether that's on a, a mountain bike, on a road bike, running, surfing, climbing, or whatever. So that's kind of what I do, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. So you're the you're the right man for today's chat. So yeah, the the aim of today really is to have a chat about diversity in mountain biking and specifically the lack of representation of people of color within the sport and i'll just be clear like i'm far from an expert on this so i'm probably going to trip up and use the wrong terminology i don't claim to have an extensive background knowledge on the topic um but as always i've done i've done some research so please guys feel free to correct me jump in if i'm getting things wrong and and also apologies if i if i ask any stupid questions on this one but figure it's better that we have the conversation and uh see where we go so elliot if uh, if we can start with you like earlier in the year there was obviously um a lot of focus after the george floyd killing and uh, and the black lives matter movement it's a huge amount of stuff going on there and around that time you posted an instagram video sharing some of your thoughts and experiences and that seems to have gone down really well and it's got over i think ninety-eight thousand views now which is incredible um, and in that, you talk about some of your experience as a person of colour in mountain biking. And I was hoping that we could start off, maybe you could share just a little bit of that experience with us and, and give us a maybe a bit of a flavour for, for kind of how it's been for you. Because I think a lot of people 
just don't really have a feel for it, right? Yeah, 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 totally. I I think too the the impetus for that video was you know because I've grown up in the cycling world forever. You know, I've ridden bikes forever, like been around forever. Um, and I think one of the things that was a little bit frustrating for me was that everyone kind of builds their identity and everything like brands and individuals around like being really accepting and inclusive and understanding. Um, and it was, it was weird because when that happened, um, the reaction was the interesting thing for me where people were saying, yeah, I'm glad that we don't have racism in cycling. I'm glad that, you know, that only exists in the U S you know, all of these things where it was like, man, you guys really think that we're living in a, like a post-racial or post-racism environment here and that there's no more work to be done. And it was, it was like, man, like that's, <laughs> that's a uh, very, very, very far from the truth. Um, and, you know, my, my personal experience, and it's been interesting, right? Because I've never, I've never really made a uh, race a platform. And, and I think there was like a lot of personal internal reasons for me where, you know, I always saw it as, as a thing where if I made race a platform or, or I talked about it, then it was always like a negative thing or it was always like, you know, yeah, there's, you know, I've, I've struggled or I have, I've been discriminated against or, or this or that. And, um, I didn't want to add to that. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of being black and I think it's, um, a, a great thing. And so I, I didn't really know how to do that in a positive way, in the way that I wanted to. Um, but, you know, growing up and, and being in the mountain biking world, like, I, I remember this, this one time I was in Leger at a World Cup and we were sitting down. It was like me and the Santa Cruz guys. And this guy like sits down at the table and I, I really can't remember what he said, but it was like, I, I think he was maybe joking, but he was like, said something really gnarly and racist and, um, and like kind of just like wouldn't let up. And, and I was with Greg Minara and Luca Shaw and like, they were like pretty much going to like physically remove him from the table. Um, but he like finally, he finally left and there was like, and so that you had these like explicit moments like that, like, you know, all around the world. And then you had like implicit stuff. Like I've, I've told that story around like people saying like, Oh, do you think that you would be on giant if you weren't black? Um, or, or even just the, the subtle things of saying of like, you know, somebody saying like, oh, you, it's, you know, it's James Stewart. And it's, that one's a really interesting one because on one hand, James Stewart is like, you know, one of the greatest motorcycle riders of all time, but there's like a lot of great motorcycle riders. And, you know, also it's kind of like, what would it look like to recognize me for me? You know, mm. you wouldn't see so much a person saying like, oh, it's, you know, Loic Bruni is the Ricky Carmichael of, of mountain biking. You kind of just say like, oh, he's Loic Bruni. Um, and so it's, like I said, it's, there is a lot of stuff that for me, I kind of, 
had to internally think about and like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, this is, you know, being called the James Stewart of mountain biking is like an insane compliment. Like I, it's so amazing, but it is kind of also, you know, like how do you kind of take it, you know? Like if I wasn't black and I was doing scrubs and things like that, like would would people say that? Um, like is it is it because I'm, you know, good, <laughs> or is it because like now there's a lot of people that that talk about they that do scrubs, but nobody calls them James Stewart. Um, and and so I think that there was just a lot of things that kind of had to internally recon reconcile and and kind of um, think about like kind of how I felt about it because. On one hand, I, you know, me not talking about race, um, you know, allowed me to be this person that some people could look up to. Like I've, I've gotten so many messages over my career of people of color and black people saying like, you know, I, I look up to you, you know, it's great to see somebody there. Um, but on the other hand, me t not talking about race, let the idea perpetuate that like racism doesn't exist for me. And I don't feel any discrimination or, or anything like that. So yeah, I think it was uh, it was it was an interesting one, and I think it's um, just just good to kind of for me like to have a little bit more of a voice to kind of say like okay, this is this is how I think about it. This is this is how I'm feeling about it. This is what I've experienced, and um, moving forward, like I can kind of um, say that in a, in a positive way. Yeah, was it was it a hard decision then for you to to make that video and to talk openly about race issues? Because you say, it says it sounds like it was a a conscious decision in the past not to. Well, I think that you know when you're racing, it wasn't really a it it was a conscious decision in that like um I. I think it was it, it was a conscious decision not to become an activist um but that's kind of what I'm what I mean like it's not like I didn't feel it you know and when you're racing mm. it didn't really matter right like if you if you have an injury or if you are a different color if you've been discriminated against at the end of the day you still like the clock doesn't give you any leeway <laughs> for like <laughs> the the color you are or the discrimination or you know, the personal things you're going through. And so, I mean, that's one of those things where like, I also don't want to diminish. Um, I, I think personally, like that's one of the reasons why sports are, there are so many people of color in sports because you can't like, there's no lying, right? Like if I win, um, you know, if, if Michael Jordan makes a basket, if Muhammad Ali is the greatest boxer, then you can't deny them. And so I think it's one of the, the ways that there is an equalizer there because it is so objective. And I think when I was racing, it was kind of like whether or not I'm feeling discrimination, I still have to go out and do my best and I still have to go out and, and try to win this race. And I, I didn't like to think about like making you know, that was one of the other things about like making race a platform was like, I kind of struggle with, with like that 
you know, for me, like if I was going to say like, yeah, I'm the first black person to get a top 10 at the World Cup. Um, and for me, it's kind of like that there's a little implication there that implies like it's that it would be somehow, um, I guess, like harder for black people like to do that like as a as a just like physically there's a there's like the discrimination part um and there is the lack of opportunity and there's the lack of access but then at the same time it's also like i couldn't do this because i'm black like now that i'm here and i have the opportunity like it's kind of all on me right like to actually get to the world cup and to do these things but i i'm fortunate enough to be able to do that you know i had all these resources i was on a team like all this stuff and like once i'm there i feel like it's all on me right like the fact that i didn't win a world cup like wasn't because i was black you know like it's because i like wasn't good enough to do it and i and i struggle with that kind of thing like once i'm there i, I feel like it's you know that objectivity is really important like i never want there to be a handout i never want the, the standards to be lowered you know where it's like yeah like a top 10 for a black guy is just as good as a win for a white guy it's like no like <laughs> it's all the same yeah. you know um so i i think there was there was some piece of that as well do you, do you feel almost like you didn't talk about that because you wanted to work on a level playing field and you felt that if you opened up that conversation you almost you're almost sort of, yeah, trying to find, I don't, it's hard to say, but like trying to create kind of reasons or excuses why your performance maybe isn't necessarily easy to correlate or equate to other white people in the sport. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah, not at all. Like that was not a conscious, like didn't think about that at all. Like, like I said, I, I think of, sports and i think of like my performance as my performance like and i have been you know my family kind of came from nothing but they my mom and dad both started businesses and um were very successful and that's like one of the things i talk about is like my path into cycling is super serendipitous you know um if we were living like the way that we were when i was a kid in oklahoma like with no money, like I wouldn't have been able to afford a mountain bike. I wouldn't have been able to even go to the mountains or even know what cycling was. Um, so I, I think that for me, like once I'm there, I, I really like it to be objective and I really like it to be, I, I didn't think about that at all. Like <laughs> I yeah, totally didn't, didn't think about like, you know, what, what could I have been if I wasn't black? Um, because like I said, I, I don't think that being black is a disadvantage. I don't know the right. Yeah. yeah I, well, I guess what I was trying to get at is do you, did you hold back on the conversation because you wanted to be, you didn't want that conversation to be there. You want to be looked at on the same level as everyone else. And if that conversation is being had, then it creates some level of 
uh, it almost reinforces the fact that there's a difference like right. it'll be only the color of your skin but do you know what i mean this, totally. I, i'm really struggling to articulate no, yeah I'm... yeah i i totally understand what you're saying i i didn't i didn't it wasn't necessarily a conscious conversation to or conscious decision to not have the conversation um there's this really good quote from lewis hamilton where he's like talking about the way he kind of thought about it where he he said like i i was taught to kill them with kindness and um you know beat them on the track um and and let the racing do the talking so mm-hmm. that's always kind of how i thought about it like it wasn't i never thought about saying you know when i felt these moments of discrimination um it never crossed my mind to speak up about them it was always um it was always like you know yeah oh i remember when i was racing motocross um there was this dad who was like i don't care what you do but you need to beat that inward and and so like for me like i when you hear stuff like that i uh it wasn't like i wanted to get on a platform or talk about you know that sort of discrimination or you know, if he's saying that openly, then like what else is kind of going on? It was more, um, yeah, I'm just going to beat you. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to make sure that I beat you. Um, and that's always kind of how I thought about it. It never really crossed my mind to become um, more of an, of an open voice about it because I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then things obviously this year changed. You've made that decision to to talk about it to the mountain bike community how was that as an experience for you and what's the response been like both from the brands that you work with and then the i guess the community as a whole yeah it's been it's been crazy cool like i would have never guessed that that video would have gotten a positive reply (laughs) so it's like i'm usually not that blunt um and and I think the reason that it's been nice for me because is that I get to do the things I'm passionate about, about, you know, lots of business stuff, lots of kind of relationship stuff, lots of stuff behind the scenes. Um, and I think that has been, has been really nice, you know, working with these companies like, and, and companies that, have been around forever you know like yeti and fox and and pink bike and and santa cruz like those people those core group of people have been kind of with me my whole life from the beginning of you know when i first started riding and it's and it's really interesting to see kind of like who has um really leaned into what we're doing not to say that you know everyone has to um, that this makes sense for every company, but I I kind of felt like in the mountain biking space, um, after I had done like a lot of kind of internal work and really thought about like what change could I make, um, it's uh, yeah it, it's been interesting to see like who who has leaned in and also like um, the amount of support that we've gotten um, and just like. Yeah, like I was saying, in the mountain biking space, I feel like we we don't really have as many people. I was talking to Rob Warner about it, and like I think in the ten years that I raced, uh, I was the only one, only black person to start on the starting line. And before that, he was saying, you know, in the last ten years, there was 
I think Shams March. And so you yeah. have this like two decade period where, um, and forgive me if I'm missing someone, but uh, you know, you have two black people and, and so we don't have that sort of advocacy that you would in like the road world. Um, and you see like, you know, because you see some people in sort of France, you see the Williams brothers, you see Aisha and, and those sort of people in the, in the roadside, but in the mountain biking side, we, we didn't really have that, that, much to rally around i feel like for sure for sure well phil can we hear a little bit about about your experience then i guess because you know different sports to some extent with some crossover and then us versus uk as well is going to have some level of difference there Mm. i guess how was how was it for you growing up being a person of color in the outdoor sports world well chris before we get to that i want to say how how great it was to hear Elliot just speak then about that experience. I mean, it's it's, it's inspiring just just to hear him speak. Um, and I, I'm going to answer your question in a minute, sorry, Chris. But there's a, That's all right. I, I've, I've taken a I've got a couple of backs of envelopes that I was just scribbling down some things here, and I just want to pick up on yeah. some of the really important things that uh, that Elliot was talking about. First of all proud to be black yes of course why why wouldn't anyone be proud to be black mm-hmm. and and what really gets me is that in the uk media black people are always portrayed in a negative way you know it's always portrayed around gang violence or knife crime you know and it's never anything positive to say about black people and all it is is the color of our skin and it's just really annoys me you know that the that mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're more than just you know, a headline, you know, actual people. So I just wanted to get that out mm-hmm. out there, uh, first of all. But really the, uh, an important thing that I thought was very interesting that Elliot said is, is that he didn't use his platform to talk about race. And that was, I mean, that's a really difficult one, right? Is is when you, Elliot is, uh, you know, is a, is a hero to a lot of people, you know, and he's racing does the talking, but I feel sometimes there's a, you know, there's an internal pressure and and Elliot, please jump in on this one, that if you're in a position like that, you're actually talking to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people out there in the world who've got your back, Mm -hmm. you know, that that you're representing. And and sometimes it's difficult because you want to say something, but you know that if you do say something and you start talking about race and 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 your color and your culture that the actual community you know the the bike community or whatever other sport you're in will just kind of go oh here we go again here we we go you know lewis hamilton you mentioned lewis hamilton he gets it all the time Mm -hmm. probably you know one of the top five motor racing athletes of all time you know he stands up for being the only black man that's about to beat Schumacher's record, but everyone's like, oh, here we go, Lewis Hamilton, mm-hmm. try, trying, to, trying to pull the black, the race card. <laughs> I mean, do me a favour. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a really difficult thing, and I, I think Elliot's done, done a fantastic job of being able to balance that, and I can't imagine what it's like being on a platform like that and the pressures that you, that you must have felt when, when, when you were there and people are clearly looking at you and wanting you to say something, you know, non, non-black people, white people are kind of like just waiting for you to trip up. And you mentioned that anecdote about when you're, you're on, when you're on the dirt bikes, 
I'm sure there were plenty of those type of things when 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 you're a mountain bike and you know a, a, an elite level. But you know you I'm sure you just you bury them down and you try and deflect them and say, look, let me just do my riding. You know, and it's it, now is a time, and you know, this podcast is a great example where I feel that as 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 a people, as a culture, where we're allowed to have a voice for the first time. You know, we've, we've been kind of saying stuff, but no one's been listening. No one's really cared what you've got to say. We know, you know, everybody listening to this knows that Elliot has had to break through so many barriers. He's been very humble about it, right? But we know he's had to break through so many barriers to get where he's, at, where he's got. He's had to be so much better. He's had to perform at such a great level to have the opportunities that have been afforded to him. You know, and he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not talking about it, for sure, because he's a you know he's a fantastic human, right? But if, if if we're talking honestly, it's very very difficult for people like Elliot. And you know what we mentioned two other people that that have made it. If we look in the UK, we were talking just earlier, Chris. How many? What five people that we came up with? Yeah, very very few. Five people of color who ride mountain bike. Why is that, that? That we're aware of, yeah. Yeah, why is that? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. Well, well, well maybe we'll get to it. So, you're, so we're going back to your question. Sorry, I just digressed a little bit. No, that's yeah. okay. Um, well, the question was like what, what it was like growing up in, in, in the UK as a, as a black man, black boy. And I think it's worth understanding a little bit about the history of being black in the UK uh-huh. that might help frame that question. A little bit more and I think it really stems I mean it stems back hundreds of years you know it's it's it stems back from imperialism and colonialism right you know we all know about the slave trade but the only reason black people really you know if we're talking about Afro-Caribbean which is where I'm from the only reason we're in the UK is because of the slave trade yeah is, is because three four hundred years ago our forefathers were taken out of Africa, taken over to the Caribbean to to work on plantations, to pick cotton or to grow sugarcane, to be beaten, to be raped, to be branded, to be to be killed, um, so that the UK can earn lots of money and create the industrial revolution. You know, that's where that's where Britain's money came from, the slave trade. Now Centuries went went by, uh, the colonies got their independence. But after the Second World War, when the UK was in a bit of a mess, it had been, been bombed pretty heavily, the, the economy was up, up the spout, they invited um, their former colonies to come over and help rebuild the country. You yeah. know, and, and, and there was half a dozen, so St Lucia, um, Trinidad and Tobago, I believe, um, Jamaica, obviously. Uh, well, they had to pay. They had to pay to come over to the UK and help rebuild the country. They were given these great. There's a flyer going around. I'm sure if you look it up online or a poster of of this, come to the motherland and help rebuild it. And the Caribbean people are very proud people. So we came over, and the, the, the middle classes came over. The educated, the the engineers, the teachers, they came over because they thought, well, come come over to the UK, uh, to the motherland, earn some money, 
we'll take send that money back home so that our families can can relish in the wealth that we've created in the UK. And that's the Windrush generation. I'm sure UK listeners will be aware of the Windrush generation, 1948 to about 1954 or something like that. Yeah. When they came over, they weren't given these riches at all. They were they were given the worst jobs, the jobs that the indigenous white people wouldn't take. There was no um, race legis- legislation. Um, so people weren't lent money to buy houses. Um, they could be turned away from jobs. They could be turned away from renting property. So what, what you had was... Um, people, black people living in inner cities, living in inner city slums that were destined to be demolished because that was the only place anyone would give them to live. So because of that, um, I don't like to use the word ghetto, but that's kind of kind of what it was. People, the communities, they stuck together. There was, they were congregated in inner city areas, lost a connection with uh, with the outdoor, if you go to Caribbean, it's all outdoors. If you go to Africa, it's all outdoors, man. You know, it's jungles and mountains and beaches. But we've lost that connection because when you when you come to London or Manchester or Liverpool, and, and you're in an inner city, you make you make your culture around the environment that you're allowed to inhabit. Which for us yeah. was, uh, you know, in in inner in in city London. You know, it's concrete, it's steel, it's tarmac. Our grandparents didn't have time to, you know, let's go for a walk in the Lake District. Let's go down to, let's go down to Cornwall for a holiday. They were busy hustling so that they could put food on their table so that they could get their kids to school and that they could pay some rent. So what happened is that we lost touch with what being in nature is all about. So it's, uh, we became, we became very good at making music. It became great at, you know, wearing wearing sneakers and fashion and and art, but and certain sports. So if you look at if you look at football now, you know half the English team uh, is is full of people uh, from Afro Caribbean background. Uh, yeah. Track and field, you know, sprinting. You know, why is that? Why is it sprinting? Because that's where we live. You can only run a hundred meters. You know, you, you can run, you can run around a track a lot, but, but that's about it. You know, yeah. you, you know, we're not going, we're not going mountain biking. Of course, why not? There's no mountains in London. You know, even road cycling, we don't have a cycle culture where it's not, rep- we're not represented in cycling at all. So there's not many people that get involved in, in, in these different sports. I've, I feel very privileged myself. You know, my, I was brought up by my grandparents and they said to me early on, look, no one's going to give you anything, right? If you want it, you've got to go and get it for yourself. And he was a working class man, my grandfather, but, you know, he saved up all his money to take me and send me off on trips to the mountains or snowboarding or, or to learn sailing. Or if there was something that I showed even the slightest bit of interest in, he would go, right, let's go, let's go and do this, you know, and I'd be the only black kid there. And of course, when you're the only black kid in that, that environment, you're the easiest target. So you're, you're, you're batting, batting off racism, left, right and centre. You become hardened to it. 
but you become used to it and you think that that is just how it is, you know, because kids can be mean. Adults can yeah. be, adults can be mean as well, you know, but uh, you, you get on with it. And personally, I've, you know, I, I feel as though I belong in an outside space. And, um, and as my grandfather said, even if, even if, people don't want to give me that belonging i'm going to take it for myself because the rewards are so huge you know riding riding down a single track you know at speed scaring myself shitless you know stumbling over roots just missing you know a, a, a falling off the edge of a, of a cliff or something you know keeps keeps me alive it, you know and I, I wouldn't swap that for anything you know but what really upsets me is is that if we're if we're talking about mountain biking is that at the moment and i think elliot's doing some great things to to change this is that uh, the industry doesn't really care you know that they think well and this is this is something that i hear quite a lot well no one's stopping you going there you know, there's no one's no sign saying no blacks allowed. <laughs> what, what, they're, what they're missing is all this, all this baggage that that is put in front of it. All these hurdles, all these barriers that say actually we don't. You're not. We're not putting signs up, but we're putting invisible signs up by not showing you in any magazines, not showing you in any videos, not having any representation in races. No outreach. There's, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no one going into schools. There's, there's no attempt, it seems to me, by bright brands to even reach out to us. And that, I find that really disappointing. I phoned up when I started getting into kind of looking at representation. I found, you mentioned Rob Warner, uh, you know, what an amazing fellow Rob, Rob Warner is. I phoned up Rob. I said, hook me up with some, you know, black people in mountain biking. And he scratched his head and he said, speak to Elliot. <laughs> you know, he lives 8,000 miles away. You know, that's what we're talking about. You know, I, I, I find out all these people that I know mountain biking, everyone was like, we don't know anyone. And that to me is a real issue. And I know there's, you know, there's geographical problems and there's um, maybe socioeconomical problems, but my my GP is black and he drives a Porsche, you know. So it's not like he can't afford to go <laughs> to buy a mountain bike and to go to Surrey Hills or to go up to Bike Park Wales or, you know, any of these places. But he's choosing not to. He's choosing not to do that. He's yep. choosing to yep. do something else. So the question is, why is he choosing to do something else? And what can we do to show him something that is absolutely incredible yeah yeah man i that resonates so much and i and i think it is so important to understand the history that you laid out so well phil because it is kind of it really leads into you know why that idea of i i, I there was i did like a, a pink bike ask me anything um, and one of the questions was, I'm going to get it, you know, a little bit wrong, but it was kind of like, do you think, um, 
instead of you know being divisive and talking about race that it would be better to just focus focus on making bikes more affordable and i feel like that kind of gets at the heart of everything that phil was talking about where um we have to we have to know what the history was and we have to understand why this is a thing in the first place and then we also have to understand um like phil said like that argument of um black people don't ride because the bikes are too expensive and it's like well if that was the case we would see like a ton of rich people rich black people like cruising around you know what i'm saying <laughs> we, oh my gosh have you seen some of the watches my boys are wearing <laughs> <laughs> and i think it's an interesting one because as soon as you there's this idea of like cognitive dissonance um and and the example i give is like in Back in the day, in the previous civil rights movement in the U.S., um, there was a lot of dissonance between saying, I'm not racist, but you can't drink at the same water fountain as me. And now it's a lot easier to say, you live next door to me, um, and I, I live under the same laws as you, There, and I'm doing fine, therefore there's no such thing as racism. And so there's not nearly as much dissonance there. And so I think any time that we can inject these little pieces that make us think a little bit, and so you say like, um, okay, yeah, if if you know income was the only barrier, then there would be a ton of rich pe- black people riding around on mountain bikes. So then that makes you think, okay, either I have to believe that every single black person is poor, or I have to believe that maybe there is something here, you know? <laughs> and and let's, let's not forget, right, in, in America, they had something called Jim Crow laws. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, mm-hmm. luckily none of us were around when, when those, uh, were, those were in place. But as, as, as he was, Elliot was saying, you know, you can't drink at the same fountain. You can't go into this park. And actually, we're going to, if you do go into this park, me and the guys are going to, we're going to hang you from a tree because you went into this park mm-hmm. and we'll probably get away with it. Yeah. And, and, and then to think, yeah, but no one's stopping you going into that park now. <laughs> are you, are you joking me? <laughs> like my grandfather was hung from a tree over there and you're telling me there's nothing stopping me going into this park. You know, so these are all these invisible barriers that, that are so hard to kind of draw out of ourselves as well because we're, we're, we're brought up knowing that all this stuff is going around. And if you're white, you don't even see it. You know, you're mm-hmm. oblivious to the whole thing. You know, everyone is the same. There's no difference between you and me. I don't see colour. You know, all, all, all this kind of stuff. Well, you should do because I'm not the same colour as you and I get treated differently from you and people aren't holding their bags close to their chest when you walk into a pub. You know, so you have to be aware that, yes, we live next door to each other. And, yes, we might even have the same job as each other. But the systems that are in play are not the same for both of us. And I think recognition of that is is, is something that's really important for everyone to be able to move forward with the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's been a lot or it feels like there's a lot of pushback from people saying, well, I'm not, I don't have any problem with black people. I'm not racist. You know, the, it's perfectly fine for people to go and ride. There's no, 
issue. I don't, I don't think there's a problem here. And, and while people, individuals may not be racist in that, you know, kind of like the obvious racism that it certainly probably still exists. I obviously don't experience it personally, but I feel has become less of an issue over time. I, I might be totally wrong, but there's all, like you say, all this invisible stuff that we don't, we maybe we don't even know we're doing or we're not aware of, you know, we were talking earlier before we came on the call, you know, people are attracted to people like themselves. And so it's very, very hard if there's no representation in the sport from people of color for people to feel welcome. Right. So where, where do we go? How do we convince white people that there's a problem? And and then where do we go from there? I, I mean, for me, um, it's kind of, if you think about it more on a, if you think about it to me on a more individual level, um, and it makes it much easier because again, like it's, it's always going to be really hard for people to, whether or not you kind of recognize it in one point that that dissonance is not going to continue, you know, in a year or something like that, like there's not going to be things that are reminding you because you're not experiencing these things every day. But the things, I mean, it's interesting because in other parts of our life, we see these things so clearly, you know, we, when somebody, I give this example of, of grief, um, where if somebody's loved one died, you wouldn't ever say like, ah, you're done grieving or like, dude, that was two years ago. Like you're still hung up on that. Um, but we do that with race where it's like ah you don't experience racism man like there's no barriers here like you need to get over it um and we in both situations we're talking about something that we have never experienced and could never experience um but in one of them we are empathetic when somebody is grieving um and in the other we are not empathetic at all and so for me it's it's really about saying um, really thinking about it and saying, okay, well, what would it, what would it be like for, I mean, <laughs> and in the cycling world, it's even easier because we can all relate to going into a bike shop and getting the side eye and being <laughs> condescended to, or like yeah. showing up to a group ride and like getting our socks made fun of or whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, that is not an inviting space. And so it's like, okay, we'll think about it one level further where you're going into an environment as, as a black person or a person of color where people don't talk like you. Um, you're, you're definitely the only one there. Um, you know, people are not going to be inviting to you. And I think the question for me is why would people of color want to be in the space in the first place? We think about people like in the, in the outdoor world and in the cycling world, we think about people like trying to beat down the doors to get in, into the space. But, you know, why would, why would a person of color even want to be here in the first place? You know, I've heard that so much throughout my life of, yeah, that's a white person sport. Um, because wow. exactly like Phil was saying, you've had this huge history um, of being treated a certain way, of being, you know, killed, excluded. And so, you know, that was, for me, that was my great-grandparents, right? And so, yeah. um, 
you build you you build a culture around not going there you build a culture around okay if at some point i've been excluded for so long um i i'm not even going to try to be there you know my if my great grandma was you know not taking my my grandma to the park um that doesn't um because it was illegal <laughs> you know like okay. that means that um you know that doesn't there's no conversation around that. There's no, the outdoors isn't this magical place, you know, mountain biking isn't this magical thing. And so we have to think about, uh, yeah, why would somebody be here in the first place? And then how are we treating them on an individual level to make sure that they're, uh, included and feel like they belong. Um, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up on that as as well. In from a UK perspective, it's worth noting, and I don't really like this term, uh, BAME. Um, for those who, who don't know, BAME is Black, Asian, and Minority Ethnic. It's a, it's a useful way that the government pretty much um, identifies anyone who's not white in the UK. So so BAME, uh, of which I fall under, uh, but within the UK. 97% of the BAME community, so and the BAME community in the UK is something like 8.2 million people. So 97% of the community live in inner cities, right? 97%. London, 47% of London inhabitants identify as BAME, right? If you live in London or in a city, you realize that there is racism. You know, I, I don't believe, I believe the majority of people aren't racist, right? But there is racism and you encounter it pretty much on a, on a daily basis, rarely overtly, but, you know, s sometimes overtly, but like you said earlier, you know, you get, you get the side eye, you get, you get people, you know, moving to the side a little bit more than they might do for, you know, your your, your white colleagues. Now, this the, the thing goes: if if you're if it's racist in the city, why do you want to go to the countryside, <laughs> <laughs> where only three percent of us live? You know, there's, you know, so you just you can't. We're stopping ourselves now. The reality is, the reality is, if you go. To, to the countryside, or if you go mountain biking, I've I've rarely, if ever, encountered racism. You know, if I, especially if you if you go mountain biking, people are just stoked that you're there, right? Mm -hmm. People yeah. are people are generally happy that you're on a bike and and you're going down a mountain. You know, and you're part and you're part of the community. And I found that in all the different sports that I've done, but actually being able to take that leap to go from the city, first of all, expose yourself to get out to the countryside and actually, where do you go? You know, where do you go mountain biking if you're, if you're not from the countryside? You've got no idea. My guy in Hackney, where, first of all, where's he going to see mountain biking? Where's he going to see that? Maybe on an internet thing or his a website or maybe it'll come up in his Instagram feed. No one's putting it in front of his face. If they do put it in front of his face, it's not someone who looks like him. Mm -hmm. So really, is he is he even going to discover that mountain biking is a thing? Maybe. Maybe he'll fall into it. You know, maybe one of his friends will 
we'll get him into BMX and from BMX they'll get into mountain biking. Maybe we'll do that. So let's say he's got into mountain biking, he's gone out, he's taken that huge leap to get out of the city, to find somewhere to go mountain biking. Once he's there, he's the only person, he's the only person on this hill, on these trails, at this bike park, at this pump track that looks like him. So, and if he's a beginner, all eyes are on this guy with his with his sketchy socks and his and, he, <laughs> and his and his helmet half cooked and you know wearing we're, we're a bike with you know rocking a bike with the wrong setup and his and his seats saddles you know all all up or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of eyes. So it's really quite intimidating for that person to to do that. You know. So I think there's there needs to be this. You know, this, first of all, the understanding that I've spoken about before, but then also, you know, how do we get the knowledge? How do we part this kind of information to new communities to say, come on, come on in, it's great. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter if you're looking kooky. It doesn't matter if mm-hmm. your bike's old. You know, let's celebrate the fact that they're just riding. And, you know, of course, everyone everyone's ambition is to be an elite rider and to do huge gaps and to, you know, to be the fastest down the hill. But there, there has to be more than that. There has to be, people have to be sold that there's something other than that, that there's community, that there's fun, that there's joy, that there's just engaging with the, with the natural environment. And for people of certain communities, that's brand new. You know, so it's, it's having... I think for the wider community, for the mountain bike community, to having an understanding and an awareness that that's going on. And also to realize that being black is not the same as for everybody. You know, Elliot being black is totally different to my being black. Totally. You know, we, we're, we're not all the same. We might have some of the same passions and the same interests, and we might use some of the slang, and in fact, might wear some of the same sneakers, but we're, you know, we have different cultural grounding points and we have different heritage. So to, when I say BAME, this is what the government does. And when people say, oh, the black community, what does that mean? You know, Africa has 52 countries. They're all black. You know, you can't mm-hmm. say that they're all the same. You know, when we talk about Europe, we talk about French and German and Spanish and Portuguese. When we talk about the black community, we just say, oh, they're just black. <laughs> it's just all of them, you know, billions of them, but they're just black. <laughs> Come on. You know, so it's, 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 I think it's a reframing of actually what, you know, what our culture is, what mountain biking is, what cycling is, and who has the right and how, how it should be sold and what's the narrative that, that we're telling because there's more than one narrative to anything. So how about, you know, let's having some other ways of telling the stories. And I think that way you'll perhaps get new communities in. And, you know, with new communities, you'll get different ideas. You'll mm-hmm. get new performance. You know, there's, 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 a, there's a ton of things that bringing different people into a culture will bring. You, you only have to look at fashion or food or art mm. to see how rich it becomes when you bring different ideas to the table. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. And uh, one of the, probably the only example that really came to mind in mountain biking of 
when a diverse perspective came on board was Sean Palmer when he joined the sport for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So he came from a kind of a snow sports background and had a very, very different mindset and a different style to everyone else at that time. Yet it really shook the sport up. And I think most people would say for the better, you know, that there's athletes as a result earning more money. You know, he turned up in a big truck at the same time everyone else was in vans and now everyone's in these big like formula one-esque trucks and he influenced what we wear still to this day you know and that's one person with a slightly different background coming into the sport so imagine what mountain biking could become if we had people from all different ethnical backgrounds coming in bringing their kind of thoughts their style their approach into the sport it could it could really be a great thing for for mountain biking as a whole, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's nothing, nothing to lose. Absolutely nothing to lose, <laughs> and ev- and everything to gain. Yeah. So where? So how do we do it then? What what should brands be doing, and what should individuals be doing to help, like, get people from minority groups and underrepresented areas into mountain biking? Well, Elliot, think- Elliot's doing it, isn't he? Well, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, that's, um, that's the first piece then, Elliot. Tell us, tell us about what you've been up to. Totally. So I, I think that um, a lot of it is kind of what we've been talking about and what Phil was just talking about there. Of, um, how do we build a community? I think we think of mountain biking as being this really great community, but it's, it's really a, only a community for a certain group of people. Um, and I, and I also want to stress, like when we're talking about, you know, one of the things that, like I was saying earlier about like this stuff feeling so negative, um, when I say like, yeah, it's only a, a community for one group of people, like the people in that community are not bad people, right? They're not deliberately saying like, yeah, black people, you know, Asian people, you know, women or whatever it is, like, don't come here. Um, it's just about being more deliberate about, uh, what it looks like to invite new community. You know, the kid in Baltimore doing wheelies down the street is just as much of a cyclist as I am starting at the world championships. And, and so the way that we've been thinking about it is how do you build this community? And we've been kind of, our first initiative is building this pump track. And the reason we're doing that is because we don't want to import a cycling culture into somewhere we want to kind of import this culture into cycling, you know, and, and exactly like Phil was saying, um, you know, art and music and, and these things that make culture, what it is and, and food, uh, what does it look like to kind of build this community and, and an inviting community to say, Hey, this is what cycling means to you. You can build it up any way that you want ride any way that you want, have your seat any direction you want and, and introduce them in a way that, that feels good where, um, you know, they're, they're maybe not the only person of color, uh, in this space. And the, the talk isn't about, you know, the latest and greatest spoke that somebody bought. Uh, it's about, you know, you know, you just did some little, jump or you you know you ate at some great restaurant it's about you know the people um rather than 
than I think what we typically think of in cycling is like the gear and the and this big adventure and things like that where a lot of people don't have access to. So I feel like it's it's really about building a community uh, where people are are being accepted and um, and there's education on both sides around you know why for the people who are already in the cycling community you know how can we welcome people in um, and and be accepting of kind of new ideas and for the people who are outside the cycling community how can we show them that uh, you know this bicycle is more than just a transport you know it's a vehicle physically and metaphorically where it can take you around the world it can allow you to be on the downtime podcast um, <laughs> it can it can do so many things so i think that for me is like the base thing is like building a community um and at grow cycling we're doing kind of a lot of other things to make sure that you know that path still there is a path right like if you want to go into a career if you want to go and race a world cup if you want to just ride around the block and and then you know again like phil was saying how do you get that representation in the media in a in a in a really correct way uh and correct i guess i mean we talk about this idea of you know how do you tell diverse stories rather than use diversity to tell a brand story um and when you know a certain bike company hires me to do a shredit that is amazing right i it's great for me um it gives you know black people visibility shows people that that i'm there but also it's really only speaking to one group of people it's speaking to the group of people that are already in the cycling world uh, that already know what a shred it is um who can who are finding it through the channels that you would only find it through if you're already a cyclist and i think it really you know it, it helps it helps the brand because it it aligns with a with current kind of consumer cultural values to say i want to align with a brand that cares about uh being diverse um but again we're still only speaking to this one group of people so what does it look like to speak to a totally different group of people right like you don't see any edits of people you know wheeling down the street or or doing anything like this on on a pink bike or on a on anything like that um and and again even if so that's not introducing that type of cycling to the current group but then again like you know what would it look like to go out as a bike company and talk to these people um to introduce them to my brand where they would have never been um doing it in the first place you know for a a red bull to go out and tell a story about um you know someone's journey into cycling what cycling means to them um and putting it places where you know that that cross kind of pollination can happen mm-hmm. showing it to people in different sports um and things like that so i i think that there's there's a way that we can actually expand expand the pie um by by actually just talking to people and about people and in ways that uh is different than our current um kind of media media talks i i i, I think you've hit the nail on the head there Elliot, you know, is who who are we talking to? Are we talking to people who are already sold on it so that we can have a bit of 
guilt cleansing or just say, hey, look, you know, we're woke as well? Mm-hmm. Or are we are we talking to people who who aren't in the scene, who we want to bring in? And if we are, there's no there's no point in it putting it on your own channels. You've got to go you've got to go to the people. You can't expect them to to come and try and find you out because mm-hmm. they won't. You've got to go into the neighborhoods. You've got to put it in front of them and give them those cultural touch points. Because it, and, and if you and if you sell it in the way that you sell it to the normal community, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to yep. sell it through, like you say, music or food or fashion, or through how far can you really can you can you avoid this bus <laughs> while you're doing it? And actually, look, my man can avoid this bus on this on on this bike, you know. And and, and look from here, try and avoid this tree. No, I'm just. A, I mean, I, I, I'm clearly no expert. <laughs> but you, you, if you look at if you look at brands like Nike and, and Adidas, they've been hugely successful in other sports by doing this. Right. They, right. They've stuck. They've put their head above the parapet, and they said, "Like, okay, there's two things at play here. A, there's a there's a commercial." value in doing this but b there's a cultural value in it as well mm-hmm. because we're gonna somewhere down the line we're gonna get some incredible athletes some incredible athletes you only have to look at the williams sisters or tiger woods you know people like that you like change the game mm-hmm. you know that have come from a different kind of background and have been invested in by brands and said okay we're gonna do it by your rules and all all of a sudden coming and just flip it up on its head and become world champions. So I think it's like, how, how do you find these people first of all? And then how do you talk in a language that they're actually going to understand? Right. Because, because talking in the same way, they're just going to go, who's this dude? Who's this dude talking about his spokes? You know, when yeah. for them, it's, you know, it might be all about the grips. I don't know. You know, but you have to, you have to find those, those points that are actually relevant to new communities. And if you can get them in there and it might be, okay, we, we only ever, we only ever go riding with music on. Yeah. That's our thing. It's all yeah. about music. And if you haven't got music as part of your conversation, I'm out. That's of no interest to me. But yeah. to do that, I think you have to have people from the community working with you. And you, you see it, once again, in so many different sports and in other industries that people turn up and go, okay, look, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go to these black fellas and we're going to give them this and they're going to love it. And then they wonder why it doesn't work. It's because mm-hmm. the people are doing it, a bunch of middle-aged white guys who, who only ever see a black person when they go past Morley's chicken on a Saturday night, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so it, it is as well as representing people from new communities. Why don't you, why don't you have them working for you? Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you let them tell you how to actually help you crack this nut? Yeah. You know, I don't I think it's that difficult, but it needs a fundamental readjustment of how people run business and what's important to them, but and unfortunately, is that generally, if you're if you're in the bike industry, and, we, and we've said it before, you you employ other people who grew up riding bikes with you. 
So you're, you're, you're kind of hiring from a fairly small pool of people who think and talk and act in exactly the same way as you do. And if you carry on doing that, then you don't get any, any new ideas. So I think it's a lot to do with actually recruiting and bringing people into the fold. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, and I think that we, you know, I, I love that example of, of Nike and Adidas because they racism and, and race in general. Um, I think it, it feels like such a kind of an intangible larger than life thing. Um, and and so I think people and brands would be like, well, I don't even know where to start. I don't, I don't even know um, what to do, you know, and thinking about it, you know, how do you scale this thing or whatever it is? And I think if you kind of just bring it down um, to what like Nike, one of the things that they did is just say like, okay, cool. We're going to go to this high school in Crenshaw, <laughs> you know, in East LA mm-hmm. and give everyone Nikes. Right. And, and introduce them to, this sport um you know it's all you know this this community is all black um and we're going to give them some nikes because they're you know they're good runners i think that's one of the other things is you know that we that i had talked about before it's not about lowering the standard um it's it's about development and and so they're they weren't they have built campaigns around it but like they're doing this stuff um kind of on a on a normal basis and and thinking about it maybe one person or one school at a time um there was a the clippers the la clippers basketball team they donated a bunch of money to have their their clippers logo uh at a ton of different public basketball courts uh around los angeles and and their thinking was if we could just get our uh you know our name out there so people are aren't just thinking about the lakers in los angeles then you know that will that will hopefully uh, get some people into our place here and and so i think it's thinking about this on a smaller scale you know there's there's nike programs and things like that but um as the bike industry we're we're smaller and especially for companies like if we could just get a couple of people involved um and then be able to retain them, retain them in in a job, but also retain them in the cycling world. Um, that should compound. Um, mm-hmm. Phil talked about, you know, how we are insular, and that you know that happens uh, in every industry. You know, you get references from and referrals from your friends and former colleagues and things like that. Um, and I think it's you know not only just thinking about it from a career perspective, but thinking about it in an actual cycling perspective where if I come into the cycling world um, and I, I feel uncomfortable or something like that, I'm not going to refer any of my friends um, to the, to the space. And so that retention of saying, once I'm here, um, how do I make sure, you know, I have a good time and, and I am your kind of gateway uh, or these, you know, these new people of color are your gateway to that community where one of them recommends and now you have two and then that compounds to, to four and then 16. And then, you know, so I think that, um, that's a, that's a really powerful thing 
is is just thinking about it on a smaller scale and um and then the career piece i think is a is also a powerful thing to say because right now because of that lack of community you the only option that you have is like laugh about this like if you want to hire a black person uh for your position you go on linkedin make sure they're qualified marketer and then make sure their picture is black um and and that happens because there's no community right like you don't have access the reason you do that is because you don't have that access to ask a, a fellow employee or have a space that that gives you an entrance into this other community this other talent pool and in the cycling world i, I think that talent pool kind of doesn't really exist yet um and and so that's also one of the things that we have been working on and thinking a lot about with growth cycling where we we really are working really closely with these brands to say all right here here's the jobs you have give me the job description and now let's create a path from this you know community hub that we built to say yeah you want to be a mechanic um we can put things in place you know we can hold clinics at bike shops to say not only um are you qualified, but you're actually qualified perfectly for this job at Yeti Cycles. Um, and and then it's about the company, again, working internally to say, yeah, I'm ready for this opportunity where, again, if I enter into a company um, that isn't, you know, culturally open, um, talk about that a lot in in kind of fashion. My, my girlfriend works in a big law firm um and they had a call and you know you know black people black black women were saying you know it took me six months to not straighten my hair um because that is the culture the culture is you're supposed to not have frizzy hair and frizzy hair for a white person or something like that could looks unkempt but that is just the way that my hair is you know <laughs> and so I think that there is that sort of thing about being open, being educated to what is the cultural norm um, for um, different types of people, different sexual orientations, different different races to where now when you do give somebody that opportunity to to go into that space, uh, they can retain and and then invite more people in there to uh, to join the workforce. I mean that's so that's so important, Elliot. That was a great great point, really well made, as well. You know that we, as a as a society, we follow a white ideal, don't we? You know, and that white ideal has um, has been invented by fifty year old white men <laughs> that that women need to wear high heels and a skirt in the office place, and black women have to straighten their hair and you, you can't you can't wear an earring and you have to conform to you know something that really is not you you know and I'm not I'm not sure what it is and I know people have to wear uniforms but when it when it means that you have to strip away your cultural identity for the majority of your of your day you know it's, it doesn't doesn't seem right to me Mm-hmm. Absolutely doesn't seem doesn't seem right to me, and I, and I think if we're if we're looking at you know what the way brands can can think, 
moving forward. I mean, if you look at a lot of sports and how how women were portrayed up until fairly recently, you know, it was, it was an afterthought, right? It was sport was for men. Sport was for men and some women might do it perhaps. And these are the sports that they're allowed to do it in. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have that conversation now because we're educated, because people say, yeah, women box. Of course they do. Women can run ultra marathons. Of course they can. Women can ride endurance um, bike events and probably win. Yeah, of course they can. And and to think that you would now run an ad campaign with women in bikinis <laughs> selling, selling, selling flip-flops is just archaic. You can't do it. And rightly so, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. The same, that same mentality has to be brought to the the conversation about ethnicity and colour. You know, this is not a, a campaign. We're not talking about something okay for for Q one and Q two. We're gonna we're gonna do something around black people and bikes. No, this is from now on mm-hmm. moving forward. In the same way as that, women are part of. Mountain biking, right? It's accepted and it should be accepted. And, you know, what's, how do, how do we talk to our female riders in, in this product launch? You know, what's the story? Mm-hmm. The same has to be applied. How do we talk to people from this community? Sure. How do we talk to the Asians with this? You know, it can't be super exclusive that this is only, this is the way it is and it has to be for this particular culture. I think personally, you know, in in the years to come for brands to succeed and to stay relevant, that they're going to have to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, there's no one can, no one really knows when the, when the future is going to happen. Right. You know, it's a, the, the, there will be a time, there will be a time sometime in the future where the, the issue about race and ethnicity is finished, is finished, right? It's off the table in the same way that the, the the conversation about women in sport is moving in the right direction. You know, it's almost a done deal. We haven't got parity, but we're, we're getting very close to it. There is going to be a time when that's going to be the case within mountain biking and all other sports for people of colour. Now, when that time comes, it might be tomorrow, it might be 10 years' time, it might be 50 years' time. You know, George George Floyd move that conversation on a lot quicker than we thought it would do. You know, a year ago, I didn't think we'd be having this conversation, but that, that conversation has moved forward. Sometime in the future, there will be no uh, podcasts about, oh, yeah, you know, ethnicity in, in cycling because it will be a done deal. The question is, we don't know when that will happen. Do you, what side of the fence do you want to be sitting on when that does happen? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be sitting on the side of the fence and, oh, yeah, we're thinking about it, uh, yeah, it might, it might happen. Oh, yeah, but we've got something else, you know, that we're going to work on this season. Or do you want to be the brand that is like from now, is like, yeah, we're changing the way we operate. And from now on, we're thinking about diversity in everything we do in the same way as we think about gender in everything we do. You know, and that's the question that I think brands are going to ask themselves because when that time does come, and it will do, 
it will do. We don't know when it when it will happen. Those that are the wrong side of the fence won't be relevant anymore and will disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I think that it's um I, I think that you know we we can learn so much from all of the civil rights movements you know from from women um and and then it's then that it's you know that it is a constant thing right like it's not women are are continually fighting for that right there's there are um groups and there are bike companies and there are lots of other things um and all of this is is an inter- intersectionality where mm-hmm. um every every one of us um the systems of power that kind of affect women people of different sexual orientations different races different backgrounds different income levels all of these things are related and so bringing up bringing up women also helps black people bring up black people also helps women um and and i think that it's um <laughs> i'm like i'm like stats guy so um <laughs> There is a stat in in the U.S. that by 2044, the majority of people will be non-white, and and so if we think about that from a business perspective, um, right now, non-white people are an extreme minority. Um, so, like Phil was saying, if you were to, and <laughs> again, I think about things from like a, a business perspective as well to say. What is that return on investment for your one dollar of marketing in the biking world? Um, right now, it's targeted toward the white male. And what would that return on investment be if you looked at it in terms of like, you know, a black female or uh, a transgender person? Um, because no one is competing for that, right? No one is telling stories to them. Um, no one is inviting them in. We had a huge bike boom this year. Um, and, and it was all new people. Um, it's all people who, who weren't in the sport previous. And so who is, who's talking to them? Um, who was talking to the book club that was previously a knitting club that is now going to ride around the block, uh, or these people that are, that are trying cycling for the first time. And so I think that, you know, as we start talking to these people, um, there is there's a there's a really large payoff and there's also this kind of stat um in fortune 500 companies we haven't increased the representation of black people since the late 90s but the educational outcomes have increased many times over um and so there's also i think just breaking down these stereotypes of oh there's not any qualified people and it's like well there's more qualified people today than there ever was before um and it's really about you know us going out and 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 thinking about it um as i was kind of talking to a lot of companies after the george floyd stuff happened i think the thing that i realized the most was that people just hadn't um been thinking about it because it was a lot of the talk was around like you know just being neutral um, and being neutral was enough and and not seeing color. And I think that, again, that idea of, of dissonance right now, it's there is a little bit less dissonance to saying, um, you know, I, I don't see color. But let's take that that idea back, you know, 60 years. And someone, a white person could have said, like, yeah, I don't see color. Um, and, you know, everyone's the same to me. 
but then you know they look around them and you know there's people getting put in jail people being hung people not being able to sit in certain places or go into certain things and so just because i as a person um, can say something doesn't mean that the environment as a whole um, feels the same way um, and is <clears throat> kind of relevant to that. So I think that it's, um, as a company, it's important to understand um, what it means, right? Like we would never start a company without cultural values that say we are hardworking, we are um, customer obsessed and things like that. And I think it's important to do the same thing for race. You know, how, what are those values um, for race? Is it getting a cream of the crop rider? Is it a grassroots effort? Um, do I want to increase the pie as a whole? Um, do I want to do some sort of thing internally? There was, um, hmm. in, in thinking about this, the, the three things that kind of came up is what does a company have uh, that an individual doesn't? And to me, those three things were resources, um, you have audience and reach, and then you have internal influence. And when the George Floyd stuff happened, Saks Underwear did this like really cool thing. And you kind of saw a lot of companies um, doing similar things, but it, it really like hit on these three things. So they said, we're going to donate $50,000 and that's our kind of resources. Um, and then we're going to not post anything for the next week. We're not going to do any advertising. Uh, that way, a larger conversation can have. We can give space. And then for our internal kind of influence, we're going to make, we're going to allow people to take anti-racism training. Um, and so they hit on all of these things. And all of those things, only reason they were able to do that is because they had thought about this beforehand and that they had these values to say, yes, we do care about um, all people of all races and these are the things that we think are important. Um, and I think that that was kind of a lot of companies, you know, didn't post anything or didn't show support. Um, some because they didn't care, but others because they just didn't know what to do. Um, they didn't know yeah. where they stood on the issue. Um, and, and they had cultivated that, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people did post stuff and there was a huge backlash. Where, you know, I, I gave the example of you would never hesitate to say, um, to post something about my local trail system coming down. But then when there is an event that, you know, kind of directly threatens my right to ride, you know, if after, after this happens, you know, the police are, are more aggravated, more, more alert. So when I'm riding down the street on my bike, there's a higher chance that I get pulled over. Um, and so these events, you know, for a lot of people, they don't go to that, right? They, they don't have to think about that. When, when I get pulled over, I think every black family in, in America has taught their kids, you know, when you get pulled over, keep your hands on the wheel. When the offer, officer comes up and asks for your registration and insurance, you say, you know, my registration's in the glove box. Is it okay if I get it? You get it. You say, my wallet's in my back pocket. Is it okay if I get it? Um, you know, yes, sir, no, ma'am kind of thing. And so these type of, of, uh, of conversations and these, these thoughts are, are the things that are happening around these events. And so I think it's important, you know, to understand that, 
um, and to understand what it means uh, when when something like this happens um, and what that might mean for a different group of people. Yeah, fair play. So there's obviously some huge opportunities for brands to go after. There's a lot of work to be done. Phil, have you got any good examples maybe from kind of parallel industries that you could point people towards to go and look at? Because I know a lot of people from brands listen to the show. Like, Well, I, I think I think in psych, I think in cycling, Specialized did quite, quite a good job, haven't they, with uh, Legion, mm-hmm. uh, Legion of LA with uh, J- Justin, Justin Williams. Is it Justin Williams? Yeah, Justin and Corey. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally know uh, cyclists in London who have taken up road cycling because of Legion of LA, you know, and, and, you know, I, I only know about these guys from what I've seen online, but you know, they, they do crit racing for uh, those who don't know. And he's from, where's he from? Compton. Is he he's from Compton? I'm not exactly you know, sure. I mean, and they're badass, you know, they win, <laughs> They they turn up with sound systems. They look dope, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's be. Honest. I think I think they're sponsored by Rafa mm-hmm. uh, and and Specialized, and you know they they turn up and you know they, I think they've been allowed to express themselves in the way that their culture expressed themselves, you know. So it's quite loud. It's quite brash, you, you know, but. As Eddie was saying earlier on, their, their performance does a lot of the talking mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and you know, so they've they've given the money over. They've also, I think, what, what's really important, which was slightly alluded to, is is given them the platform to be able to tell their story as well, and you know, given having their community tell their story with them. So, black photographers, black filmmakers, black directors. You know, so that they can actually show show it through their own eyes rather than someone else's interpretation of who they are. And I think that really resonates with other communities because they can see themselves in that. You know, and if and if you, you know, it's a great example. If you if you if you're going to a if you go into a news agent and you see magazines, you can tell you know photographs and and editorial that has been created by black people for black people rather than let's stick this black person on a, on an ad, mm-hmm. you know, and just swap them out from, you know, the white guy who would have been there before just because we feel we have to tick a box, you know? So I, th- I think to really succeed in this, you have to give a little bit of yourself over to this community yeah, and, and have trust with them to say, look, you know, we're with you. You know, we're not doing it just for a, you know, a, a guilt cleansing or some, you know, box ticking exercises. We're we're with you, and we believe in you enough to work with you to get it done the right way. So brands that have done it well, I mean, like I say, in, in the bike industry, I specialize is the one that I've you know, that I've jumped to. You know, in so to such an extent that my last bike that I bought, last road bike I bought, was a specialized. Okay. Because, because I thought, well, look, th- these are guys who, you know, I don't know how much of his marketing spin or not, you know. I'm sure there's some of that in there. But to my eyes, I thought these are guys who believe in it. You know, I know that, um, is it Kotick, is it, up in, uh, 
up in up in Sheffield. They've got yeah, yeah. they've got Cotic, yeah, they've got a good um uh a good initiative that they're just starting to roll out to a, you know, and I had a conversation with those guys and it's like, you know, you know, we're really we're really keen to do something, but we really want to do the right thing. And they ran a few ideas past me and like, yeah, I think, you know, I think that sounds really good what they what they were doing. You know, so it's it's that it's the it's the outreach I think is really important mm-hmm. rather than thinking that you've got all the right answers. Right. Because because you know what, Chris I don't have the right answers either. You know, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm just this dude yeah. who lives in South London who rides around on his bike, you know, and runs in the wood and gets knackered, you know. But I, <laughs> and, and, and we're all kind of, this is a new conversation. You know, we've, as, like I said before, I don't think, I didn't think we would be having this conversation. And as much as the industry has been taken a bit off guard, I think we're all, trying to fumble around going actually what is the right thing to do here because we didn't think it would ever happen well mm. i can't speak for you elliot but i didn't think this yeah. would happen mm-hmm. so quickly so mm-hmm. what is the right thing to do you know i can tell you what i think but i don't i don't know 100 so I, I i think brands that are successful are 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 reaching out and having those conversations totally. and being honest and being you know, putting their hands up and saying, yeah, you know what, we fucked up. We we didn't have that plan in place for when this conversation came up and we don't know what to do. Can you come and help us? You know, and I think that that's, in my eyes, that's that's the sign of someone whose who's mind's in the right place, an organisation or a brand or a governing body or, you know, even just a... Uh, a local hill, you know, what can we do? How can we do it? You know, can we have a conversation? Yeah, for sure. And what, we can work, work, work it out like that. What about an individual level then? Because not all of us are owners of brands in the bike industry, but I'm sure there'd be a lot of people listening that want to be able to contribute somehow to this. Like what, what ways can individuals help improve the, the landscape? I, well, I, for, from a personal level, I would say understand the history. Okay. Understand where we're coming from. You know, yes, we're a different colour than you, and we might, you know, be into slightly different things, but understand our story. I mean, we know we know the story, well, most of the story of a white man in this country because that's what we're told from the day we go to school. You know, we heard it every day. You know, I can tell you about... Henry VIII or, you know, industrial revolution or crop rotation in the 15th century. (laughs) You you know, we were never told about our story, about the story of 8 million people in this country, about slavery, about um, the the positive roles of people of colour in this country. So when you kind of understand a little bit about us, it may become easier for you to be able to relate to us and to talk to us with an understanding of some of our some of our struggles, some of our problems, and some of our goals and desires. So I think, you know, at a very base level, you know, take a bit of time, watch a movie, read a book. I mean, that um I'm not sure if it's on Netflix still, but 13th, 
13th Amendment. That's a, a, an amazing Netflix documentary about the oppression and subjugation of black people in America from day one to, to today. And it will shock you. It will absolutely shock you. You know, but there's plenty, there's plenty of books out there. You know, ask, you know, and this is, this is something that actually really took me by surprise. Well, actually, maybe not, you know, uh, since, this, since this has come up, since this conversation has come up and I've done a couple of podcasts and I've written a couple of articles, friends of mine that have been friends for 20 years have come up to me and said, Phil, you know what? I really didn't know. I really didn't know that all of this stuff was going on in the background with you. Why didn't you say anything? And you think, well, because I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's the black guy who's, here we go, talking about race again. Mm-hmm. You know, you keep your head down. But, uh, um, you know, on the other side, none of them have ever asked me. Mm-hmm. No one ever asked me. You know, it's not something that I'd necessarily offer up. But you know, for people out there who, to, to your question, you know, what can they do? Speak to some of your friends from from those communities and ask them, have you take them down the boozer, you know, have that conversation with them, try and understand a little bit about their life and what they've gone through. You know, and I think that will really open your eyes. Yeah. There's a, there's a book, uh, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race by, uh, Rennie Edo Lodge, which I think mm-hmm. covers quite a lot of stuff and definitely goes into the history of things, which I have to say, I, I wasn't aware of until I got stuck into that, you know, it's, which is incredible really considering what's gone on. Yeah. It's, it's pretty horrible that that doesn't get taught because it's such a big part of, of the UK and, and the world kind of position, but yeah, strange. Well, not strange, but yeah, <laughs> bad, bad that it hasn't happened, but hopefully yeah. people want to get involved and find out more. I what, think it's starting to change. Yeah. I think, I think it's starting to change. There's been a, there's been a shift I think, and I think that that has become that that's happened maybe because of COVID. Perhaps people have had a lot of time indoors thinking about things, not being at work, not being allowed to go out, and maybe reflected a little bit about life and the fragility of it and not having access to outside spaces and maybe shifted the way they look at the subject perhaps. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I feel like too it's um I think for like black people like um I kind of like it's such a there there if it I thought kind of people new <laughs> like <laughs> you know what i mean like there there is so it feels i guess in in my i i think one of the things that i mean it's kind of like why didn't you guys believe us a bit yeah. <laughs> um yeah. where like this is not something like george floyd is not the first killing um you know this is not the first time this happened it's not the last time it's gonna happen um you know, there is been so much talk. We, we have a a Black History Month in the in the U.S. Like there is, uh, you know, there's so much around it, and it 
And I think a lot of it, I, I was talking to a friend the other day and he was like, does that, like, does that stuff still happen? I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like he's like, yeah, I didn't like in California, I, I never, I didn't think that that was a thing or whatever. And so, um, I, I think from my perspective as well, I was like, oh wow, like this. And I think that was one of the things that the video taught me was like, yeah, this is, um, a lot of people just, um, haven't been exposed. I, I guess, or, or exposed in a way that they could listen or, or whatever. There's this, uh, idea, Dr. Jana talked about, and you talked about it too in the beginning, uh, Chris, that I think we have to allow people to make mistakes that yeah. this idea of like calling people out has to kind of stop. Um, and she talked about this idea of like calling people in to where, um, calling somebody out says that they're irredeemable and calling somebody in is what you would do in to a friend or in a relationship that's, that's kind of like, you know, you did something that hurt my feelings or made me feel bad. Um, I'm going to let you know what that is so that you can be better the next time. And, and it's saying that, you know, kind of everyone is redeemable, but if we don't, you know, as, as an athlete, like you know that you have to fail <laughs> to, to improve. Um, and if we don't allow people to fail, um, then it kind of stunts the growth. It stunts that knowledge where, you know, people are Martin Luther King was a great civil rights activist. Um, but that was, you know, 60 years ago. Um, and we, you know, we still quote Einstein, but there's been a lot of scientific progress since then. And I, and I think it's kind of the same to where we need to be able to um, make mistakes and, and keep learning so that we uh, can understand, you know, like Phil was saying, that we're not all a, a monolith in the way that I think is different to Phil, is different to the, my next door neighbor, is, is different to everyone. Um, and I, yeah, I think on an individual level for me, it's like really, yeah, just like, being a good person, <laughs> like <laughs> being, being a good person, being empathetic, um, you know, learning that, learning that history, like, like Phil was saying, so that we can actually say, yeah, um, I can see, I can see, uh, try to understand what you're, what you're feeling and I'm going to help you, help you get through it. Good stuff. What if about, uh, what about if people want to get involved with Grow Foundation? Like where should they head? What are you looking for? How can they donate? All of that good stuff. Yeah, totally. We, um, I think the things that I say is like, if you're, if you do want to grow, donate, um, you can make sure if your employer has like a donate matching program, um, you can set that up. Um, if you want to donate on the site, we have, we can donate on the site. We are holding some raffles. The first one's U.S. only, but we're going to try to get, um, or not raffles, um, their, uh, their giveaways. And um, we're going to hold some more giveaways on, uh, on in the, uh, the rest of the world. But, like, the legal stuff is just insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so on top of that, like, um, we, a lot of people have, like, reached out. Um, who have like certain skills, um, who are designers or marketers or, or, you know, doing things with different organizations. Cause I think that's one of the things that we really want to do is really just kind of be the facilitator and the glue, not 
create a bunch of new stuff um, that's already been done. A lot of people are doing great work, so we really want to connect. So, I mean, if you have people that you think we should talk to, um, or if you want to lend your skills, like we are open to that. Um, and and yeah, just like spreading the word. You don't. It's not a requirement to donate or anything like that. Just you know, spreading the word and um, being a being a more empathetic. Uh, cyclists, I think, is is our main call to action, um, inviting nice. people into the space. Good stuff. And it's growcyclingfoundation.org, yeah? Yep. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting. I've learned a lot, to be fair. Any closing comments from uh, Phil? We'll go to you first. Oh, well, uh, I'd, I'd say, I mean, in, in the UK, um, I mean, we're starting from a pretty much ground zero at the moment. There's there's half a dozen uh, people. We're trying to, I'm working with uh, a guy called Justin Yates, um, Scooby on Instagram. We're trying to start to build a community. We're quite a way behind where Elliot is uh, over in the States. Um, so we're really still trying to build a network of, of people of color who ride bikes in the UK, who ride mountain bikes anyway, to try and get a community. So, um, if, if you're around, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how we even connect the dots at this stage. Um, but if you are a mountain biker of color, try and make yourself known. There's a few of us out there. We're trying to build a community. Um, I'm not sure how, how we connect at this stage because it's still <laughs> the, at the moment it's still just on Instagram. But, uh, I, if you want to reach out, I'm Phil Skills on Instagram and I'll try and, I'll try and hook you up and uh, let's try and get something going. Uh, otherwise, I'd say, you know, if, if you're if you're thinking about it, you know, and you haven't been mountain biking before and you stumbled across this podcast, get involved. You won't look back. It's probably going to be one of the most amazing things you've ever done in your life. It's a great community out there and uh, it will open your eyes to a whole wealth of joy. Nice. Yeah. If people uh, are listening who are people of color who ride mountain bikes and want to get in touch for sure, welcome to email me, chris at downtimepodcast.com, and I can connect up to whoever is the right person to do so. So, yeah, if you want to get in touch that way or if you want to check out Phil's skills on Instagram, I will put that link in the show notes. I'll also put in links to the book that I mentioned, um, to Legion, what's it called? Phil, Legion. Legion of LA. Legion of LA. Yeah. I'll put a link into that and to the Netflix documentary that you recommended, as well as Grow Foundation. Um, so people can access all of that over on the website. Um, yeah. Anything more from you, Elliot? Um, no, I, I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, and and yeah, behind the scenes, Chris has really been like hurting some cats with (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh what a legend chris (laughs) yeah i I appreciate it so much from from you chris and same phil uh i know all three of us have been pretty pinned so it it means so much that you uh yeah gave us this platform and every everyone out there listening i really appreciate it and um yeah, I, I think just thinking about this stuff in a positive, in a positive way, uh, is important for me. That it's we're we're doing good work. People in cycling are good people, and and yeah, just just excited, excited about the future. So thank you. 
for sure, man. Yeah, one hundred percent. I have no problem herding cats when they're good cats. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Well, cheers both of you for your time. It's been super interesting chatting, and uh, yeah, let's check in on how things are going uh, in uh, I don't know six months, twelve months. Let's see how Grow Cycling Foundation goes, and, and when it makes sense to to get back on, we'll we'll, we'll update and we'll see how things have moved on. Sounds Peace. good. Nice one. Cheers, guys. See ya. Bikers. All right, that's it for this episode with Elliot and Phil. I hope you enjoyed listening and that this has made you think about things, perhaps in a different way than you did before. Please, please spread the word. This conversation is rooted in mountain biking, but it's so relevant everywhere in society, so you don't need to be a rider to listen. Tell your friends, get the message out there. A massive thanks to Crank Brothers and Kotick Bikes for supporting this episode of the podcast. Head to kotick.co.uk now and check out what they have to offer. My Rocket Max is the fastest and most fun bike I've ever owned, and I'm definitely not the only Kotick owner to be saying that about their bike. If you want a chance to win your choice of Crank Brothers clipping pedals and an M20 multi-tool to install them, then just head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Crank Brothers now, and that will take you to the Crank Brothers entry form. You've got until the end of October to enter. There's a load of great resources mentioned in this episode and all the links are in the show notes for the episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you fancy representing the show, then grab yourself a t-shirt or one of our brand new sweatshirts or hoodies by heading over to downtimepodcast.com for slash shop. Keep warm, look good and help support the podcast at the same time. What's not to love? All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 